You're listening to Calvin's Institutes. Lesson 1. These online lectures and study guides have been created to provide listeners all over the world the opportunity to receive theological resources online for free. Gifts received from supporters like you help us continue this exciting work. Please partner with us so that millions all over the world can continue to receive and share in the life-changing message of the gospel. Click on the Give Now button on our homepage. That's worldwide-classroom.com. Thanks for your support. I heard a story. A um, um, young man was being examined on theology for his uh, licensure. And um, the examiner, one of the pastors in the uh, presbytery, began the question this way. Was Calvin right when, and the young man at that point said, yes. <laughs> Did not give him a chance to finish the sentence, and everybody laughed as you did. <laughs> well, I do want to go back to those introductory pages and uh, say a little bit about um, the rest of that material, then we'll move on to um, what uh, we have before us today. We were looking uh, at um, general characteristics of the Institute's Biblical, theological, rhetorical, and uh, come down to the word devotional. That uh, probably surprises you or people in general uh, because people don't think of Calvin's Institutes as a devotional book. But um, as you get into it, I think you'll see that that certainly is one of the words that we can use to describe it. The title of the 1536 edition was The Institute of the Christian Religion Containing Almost the Whole Sum of Piety. Notice Calvin's word there. And whatever it is necessary to know in the doctrine of salvation. And Calvin, even though that title is not retained in the later editions, certainly continues to emphasize the devotional aspect, the matter of piety. It's not enough just to talk about these things. We must really find them in our lives. So it's a challenging book, not only intellectually, but it's a challenging book uh, personally, too. And I think you'll find as you read through uh, the Institutes many times when you'll just stop and ponder what Calvin is saying and uh, pray and ask God to make these things real in your own life. Calvin's lifelong motto was, my heart, I offer you, O Lord, promptly and sincerely. Most 16th century writers had mottos, and this was the one that Calvin chose for himself. And it's not just... Um, for Calvin, I think it's not just a matter of um, pious words because as we look at his life, uh, we can see many times when he had a cost to himself and uh, times when he would have chosen some other course. He says, but I'm not my own when I remember that I'm not my own and that I have offered my heart to the Lord, uh, then I can do nothing else but uh, what I feel he will have me to do. 
one of the older biographies of John Calvin, uh, the one by Jean Cartier. It's called The Man God Mastered, and uh, that is uh, indeed a proper title for uh, a life of Calvin. Calvin's not perfect by any means. He had his shortcomings and his failings. He could be um, somewhat uh, short-tempered. He could be somewhat uh, critical, somewhat harsh at times uh, with friends as well as enemies. But uh, under it all, there is a a deep uh, love for God and concern uh, for his glory. Uh, We'll come later to the section in the Institutes called The Life of the Christian as we come to Calvin's treatment of sanctification. And uh, there you'll see Calvin spelling out in a kind of biblical theological treatise uh, what the Christian life should look like. And Calvin not only uh, wrote about that, but he certainly attempted to exhibit it uh, in his own life. And then we'll see later today that uh, when Calvin is talking about knowledge of God, piety is requisite for the knowledge of God. Uh, Calvin cannot conceive that a person could really know God in any sort of um, coldly intellectual way. Piety is part of the definition of knowledge. It's not something else. You should have knowledge of God, and then you should be uh, a spiritual person. But to have knowledge of God is to be a spiritual person. So piety is requisite for the knowledge of God. All right, purpose of the Institutes. Why did Calvin write this book? He wrote the book probably in the year 1535, 1534-1535, just after he had been converted to Protestantism. He wrote the first edition of the Institutes to provide instruction to French Protestants. He tells us that um, he's just just beginning himself along this, this route of um, Bible study, theological study. And he said, even though I was just beginning, others were coming to me and asking me for help. So he wants to set forth in an organized way uh, the teaching of the Bible uh, to help his fellow French citizens who had converted to Protestantism have a clear statement of their faith. He published the book, 1536, for that purpose, to provide instruction to French Protestants, but also to present a Protestant confession of faith to King Francis I of France. Uh, We have that prefatory address uh, in the McNeil Battles edition of the Institutes, and that stays in all the editions all the way down to the last one in 1559, but it's Calvin's statement to the King of France. This is what we are. This is what we believe. And we don't know that Francis ever read that material, or if he did, did not seem to help him much. But uh, nonetheless, uh, Calvin wanted to say that um, Protestants are not strange extremists that are uh, going to endanger uh, the country of France by Bible-believing, law-abiding people. And then 
from 1536 uh, to the last edition in 1559, he expanded the institutes. They get bigger and bigger to serve as an introduction to Scripture. Because all during this time, Calvin is also writing commentaries. And uh, his purpose now is to have the Institutes as a kind of theological introduction to Scripture so that he doesn't have to deal with theological issues out of context. He wants to do his Bible commentaries in a very simple, straightforward way and uh, not have to um, have long, uh, a long excursus at various points to develop a theological topic, which was the typical way that uh, theology was being written in the 16th century and before. Calvin, according to Warfield, added, developed, and defined. We compare the first edition, 1536, to the last edition, 1559. We're reading, of course, 1559. 1536 is translated and in print. Dr. Fort Lewis Battles did a translation of the 1536 edition as well, and uh, that's in print. So you can read that and compare Calvin's first statement with Calvin's last statement. And uh, Warfield, I think, is right. Calvin added, developed, and defined. He doesn't really change his ideas. He doesn't change his theology. Calvin really doesn't have to write a book uh, entitled, How My Mind Has Changed. Uh, Augustine did, you know. He wrote his uh, retractions at the end of his life, looking back over all his writings and trying to judge which was good and which was not so good and how he changed in his ideas from uh, time to time in his life. Calvin doesn't have to write that because he really doesn't change. It's not because... Calvin is stubborn or proud and just doesn't want to change, but uh, he did not have to. His, his theology, amazingly enough, is intact in that first statement in 1536. And he develops it, he defines it, he illustrates it, um, but he doesn't change it. As he adds, develops, and defines. Of course, he's growing in, in knowledge, and Calvin's advancement uh, in knowledge certainly um, shows in the later editions uh, of the Institutes. He's writing Bible commentaries, so his Bible um, knowledge is, is deepened, and that is picked up in his use of Scripture in the Institutes. He continues to study the church fathers, and more and more uh, we see quotations from the church fathers in the Institutes. Augustine, of course, he loves. Augustine is the church father for Calvin. At one point, he exalts, Augustine is totally ours, he says. That is, belonging to the reform is over against the Catholic that may have been an overstatement, but uh, Calvin was enthusiastic about Augustine. 
He also often used Chrysostom, the Greek church father, although he recognized that Chrysostom was not nearly so astute in theology as Augustine, but Chrysostom was a great um, exegete, a great expositor of Scripture. He used Cyprian, Ambrose, Gregory, and Bernard, Bernard of Clairvaux. Uh, These were his favorites. And then Calvin was interacting with contemporary Protestants, Luther, somewhat indirectly, through Melanchthon, Melanchthon, Zwingli, Bullinger, Echolampadius, and Bucer. And uh, all of this study uh, bears fruit, and uh, we see the uh, results of it in the 1559 edition of the Institutes. The other area, the other large area that uh, enables Calvin uh, to um, expand and define and perfect the Institutes is his own experience. Uh, He serves as a pastor in Strasbourg for three years with Martin Bucer. Well, he's in Geneva first for a short time with William Farrell, then three years in Strasbourg with Bucer, and then back in Geneva for the rest of his life. So his pastoral ministry uh, helps him to expand his theological uh, treatise and also his theological controversies. Yes. From Basel. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. That that is uh, before 1536. Um, he had been in Basel and published the uh, Institutes in Basel. He traveled back uh, into France, some down into Italy. He was moving around quite a bit uh, during uh, that period um, and then ends up in Geneva, into Strasbourg, then back to Geneva. Okay, the other, the other ex- factor uh, that um, enabled Calvin to develop and lengthen his institutes uh, was was theological controversy. Calvin had many, many theological battles. And uh, by 1559, we can see the results of these coming out uh, in the institutes. Uh, Controversies on the doctrine of the Trinity, on the Old Testament, on the Lord's Supper. Uh, These all uh, impact uh, the institutes. So, through all these years, he is adding, developing, defining, and rearranging. If Calvin doesn't change his mind as to the content, he makes a lot of changes as to the order. In fact, he tells us that he was not really happy with the order in which he placed things until the final edition of 1559. Calvin is very concerned about this, and as you read through the Institutes, be alert for these methodological statements where he tells us what he is doing. Uh, He is uh, very concerned not only to get the doctrine right, 
but to put it in the right place. And I think that's uh, something important that we can learn from Calvin. Calvin is concerned about epistemology, how people are taught, how people learn. And he says it's important to say the right thing, but it's also important to say it at the right time. And I think I included in the uh, syllabus this chart, which is kind of overwhelming when you look at it, uh, because it uh, has all of these uh, changes. Dr. Battles has created this chart in which uh, you'll see 1536, The first was Thomas Norton back in the 16th century. Calvin was very fortunate in his first English translator who did an exceptionally good job very soon after the completion of the Institutes in 1559, written in Latin and translated by Calvin into French and then quite soon into English. Allen is the second translator. John Allen and Henry Beveridge, both 19th century translators. I think the um, Beveridge translation is, is still in print. It was until fairly recently, anyway. And um, those are not bad, but not too good either. Ward Lewis Battles, 1960, is the translation that we're using. Even though this translation has been criticized some, uh, it um, is certainly by far the most superior translation that we have uh, at present. I've listed um, in the outline here some of the tools and aids uh, that appear uh, in the Ford Lewis Battles edition. And you can look through that. For further study, a number of uh, books with annotated comments that deal with the Institutes as a whole. I'll refer to uh, these writers from time to time, so the books are there and uh, something about them. And then an outline of the 
structure of the 1559 Institutes in its four books with the titles that Calvin uses. I think these pages may be um, before the ones that I just um, looked at with you, and I just want to remind you of them. The structure, the four titles. These are Calvin's titles of his books, as well as the chapter titles are Calvin's titles. It's very important to know these uh, titles of the four books. Uh, Learn them, memorize them just the way Calvin wrote them. Uh, because uh, he's very concerned about the titles. Knowledge of God the Creator, Knowledge of God the Redeemer. These are shortened forms of these um, fuller titles that Calvin gives. And uh, you can see how the four books break down uh, into uh, treatments of God, Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Church. And then the outline is taking uh, Calvin's material and putting it in an outline that um, will help you see uh, the flow of the whole work and um, look through that so you'll get an idea as to where Calvin is going. Thanks for listening to this worldwide classroom lecture from Covenant Theological Seminary. Looking for more resources? Access more than 1,000 downloadable articles, sermons, and more at resourcesforlifeonline.com. Search resources by keyword, author, or Bible reference. Grace-focused, Christ-centered resources, free to you. Resourcesforlifeonline.com.